Hello, this is uh, for January 4th, 2009. We're looking at uh, Galatians, Lesson 8, uh, which is a focus on uh, Galatians Chapter 2. Let's begin by blessing God. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and has commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Lord God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and in the mouth of your people, the family of Israel. May we and our offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Lord, who teaches Torah to his people, Israel. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has selected us from all the peoples and gave to us his Torah. Blessed are you, Lord, giver of the Torah. May the Lord bless you and safeguard you. May the Lord illuminate his countenance for you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his countenance to you and establish peace for you. We've uh, taken some time off. We're back uh, in studying now uh, from the workbook uh, from Brian's online Galatians uh, Lesson 8. And like I said, this will be a focus on Chapter 2. Let's start with uh, a few passages that we had at the beginning of uh, the lesson. Uh, from Psalm, uh, Psalms 119, verse 142. Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and your Torah is truth. And from Acts chapter 13, verses 38 through 42. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man, speaking of Yeshua, is preached to you the forgiveness of sins, and by him everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what has been spoken in the prophets come upon you. Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, though one were to declare it to you. So the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. That's Acts 13, 38-42. Here's some questions for this week's study. Why did Peter separate from the Gentiles to eat, as it's uh, uh, revealed to us in Galatians chapter 2? Is it possible to be righteous and still refuse to obey the commandments of God? Is the believer's righteousness only what is imputed to him from Messiah's perfect righteousness? Does every usage of law refer to the Torah? Is the word justified an eternal salvation term, or can it refer to something else? Let's look at a couple things uh, just to kind of review where we've been so far, uh, what we've learned so far. First of all, we saw in the first uh, lesson uh, how God has chosen Israel as his instrument to draw all the nations to himself. Israel was to be a light to the nations, as, as Isaiah talks about, and that um, as first promised in Genesis chapter, uh, in Genesis chapter 3, and then specifically in Genesis chapter 12 through Abraham, that God would send a seed, that God would uh, provide a Messiah, a, a, um, a Redeemer uh, through uh, Israel. And then we saw it also in the Davidic uh, promises, uh, the promises made to King David that it would come from his own household, from his line, the kingly line of King David of the tribe of Judah. And so we saw that then Israel is the uh, 
representative, uh, the chief representative for Israel, and uh, as the uh, primary means by which Israel fulfills her destiny and draws all nations to himself. And we saw later on in, in Lesson 2 that Gentiles are indeed a problem. And we saw that because that Gentiles bring oftentimes idolatry and, and, and ways that are foreign and ideas that are foreign to the scriptures and to the commandments that God gave to his people, Gentiles have a tendency to uh, draw Israel away. And we saw this from Israel's own history. And then we saw in the Second Temple, uh, in Second Temple Judaism, which we would call between the years 500 BCE and between uh, and 70, when the uh, Common Era, where the, when the Temple was destroyed, that there were rules added to limit contact with Gentiles because Gentiles, uh, uh, as we saw, could be can be a problem. Their pagan ways have a way of drawing Israel out of obedience to God. We also saw in the year 20 of the Common Era, before the Common Era, excuse me, 20 before the Common Era, that there was a a, uh, an enactment, 18 measures, 18 uh, uh, rules were enacted, uh, uh, mainly because of a, a, of a dispute between the house of Shammai and the house of Halil. And these 18 measures had a profound and severe shift against Gentiles. And uh, at the sa- about the same time, or slightly before then, uh, we saw that there was a formalized, uh, codified method by which Gentiles could become Jews, or that is to become ethnic Jews, as, as, uh, as, as this uh, protocol of uh, ritual conversion was formulated, that's what it, it essentially said was that the only hope for Gentiles was to become uh, ethnic Jews. The only hope for them since God uh, only provided uh, salvation for uh, the Jews. Um, so this was their method by which the Gentiles could be added. Uh, but it also, those 18 measures limited that. And uh, there was only one way uh, to the access to the God of Jacob, and that is through uh, ritual conversion because of the 18 measures and also associated rules. What we see in the book of Acts, the struggle between um, uh, the followers of Yeshua and Judaism at large is in fact this, the, this, this primary struggle is in fact uh, this issue of Gentiles and whether Gentiles had to remain Gentiles and, and at the same time could be part of Israel. Uh, the other sects of Judaism were, of course were adhering in, in large part were adhering to the 18 measures and the concepts of ritual conversion. Um, on the other hand as well Paul and it was specifically through the influence of Paul, in addition to Peter's vision, as we saw in Acts chapter 10, uh, but Paul's ministry and Paul's, uh, um, uh, the, the clear revelation that Paul had with regard to Gentile inclusion uh, made it very clear that, that um, and, and Paul saw this in reading of the prophets, that the Gentiles had to be part of Israel. Uh, and they couldn't simply become Jews as, as, as the... Uh, uh, the rubrics of uh, 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 ritual conversion or circumcision uh, implied, but they had to be Gentiles as joined to Israel in order for there to be, uh, in the end times, in order for there to be a, a coming of the Messianic kingdom. That's what the prophets taught. That's what Paul focuses on. We saw that when we looked at lesson one, or excuse me, chapter one in our previous lesson, lesson seven of this study, that in fact this, this whole issue of Gentiles coming Paul saw not as a means by which uh, the whole world, you know, as in terms of uh, pure evangelism as it is often portrayed, but he saw 
taught also in terms of the final restoration of Israel and the fulfillment of the Messianic kingdom. In other words, without, without Gentiles being added to Israel, the, 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 the Messianic kingdom, Messiah, would not return and, there would not, and, and the restoration of all Israel would not be accomplished. Paul saw it as, as the means, that Gentile inclusion was the means by which to hasten the day, as, as uh, Peter refers to. Uh, that's good news, and that's the good news that he's speaking of, the, what's often called the gospel. The good news is this, the kingdom's coming, and, and Gentiles, the fact that Gentiles are being included is a sign that the kingdom is soon and near. Uh, and without Gentiles, of course, the Messianic age would be delayed, and I'm using a rabbinic term with, that, with regard to that. Of course, God's timing is always true and right, but uh, without the Gentiles, in human, in human terms, without the Gentiles, the, the Messianic age was delayed. It was going to be delayed. Paul is uh, so insistent and so consistent on this message that the good news had to be included, had to be a part of, uh, the Gentiles had to be a part of Israel, was part of the good news. Um, let's go into our study. We looked at the, a key verse or verses for the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 through 16. And this is what Paul writes for us. We, being Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, Yet knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Yeshua, the Messiah, even we believed in Messiah Yeshua, that we might be justified by faith in Messiah, and not by the works of the law, because no flesh will be justified by the works of the law. Now we're going to look at specifically next week at this phrase, works of the law, so I don't want to get too deeply into it. But what's, uh, what's interesting here is right here in this, in this passage, the context of verse 16, which is the key verse, uh, probably the key verse of the book of Galatians, verse 16. Um, uh, but the context is found in verse 15. We, being Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. Well, one of the premises that evangelical, classical evangelical Christianity has is that, uh, that Judaism taught a salvation by works, and Paul was trying to, of course, warn the Gentiles to stay away from Judaism, uh, instead sticking to Christianity and this salvation by faith alone. And that's the purpose for writing the book of Galatians, as, of course, as we've seen, that is inconsistent. But this very context in verse 15 shows us that inconsistency. Paul says that we, being Jews by birth, know that a man's not justified by the works of the law, but through faith. Now, uh, if you were to read uh, even modern Orthodox Judaism's description of salvation, uh, although they wouldn't use those terms in the same way that uh, um, classical Christian theology does, but if you, you, if you were to use the terms such as uh, a part in the world to come, uh, they will tell you that, that uh, Israel has a part in the world to come, all Israel has a part in the world to come, not by works, not by their deeds, but rather by faith. And, and uh, expressed specifically in the faith of Abraham and the patriarchs that God uh, chose Israel not because of, of Israel's good deeds or works but rather on the, on the basis of his sovereign choice. And on the basis of his sovereign choice the patriarchs Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob chose to follow God and on the merit of that then all Israel has a part in the world to come. So, in fact, they don't, they don't claim a salvation by works. Paul's telling us right here this very same thing. He's telling us that uh, we Jews know this. 
that someone's not saved or justified. Excuse me. Let me use the word that he says. He uses the word justified by the works of the law. Like I said, we're going to look at this works of the law. Today we're going to focus on the word justified and also the word righteous. Um, uh, the point here is, though, that Paul is not teaching something new. He's saying, we already know this. Let me tell you what we, as Jews by birth, know with regard to uh, what I'm about to tell you uh, and not being justified by the works of the law. Uh, in Second Peter, in Second Peter, uh, chapter three, verse fourteen through sixteen, this is always important. Anytime reading the works of Paul, the writings of Paul, his epistles, first of all, there's two things that I would always encourage you to do. Always encourage you to remember that Paul himself, in Acts chapter twenty-eight, said that he had never taught or departed from the customs and the teachings of 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 the of the fathers of the elders, uh, which says that Paul. Uh, did not consider himself to be a uh, did not consider himself to be a heretic or an alien from uh, the Judaisms of his day, but rather considered himself to be have been faithful to them all along. Uh, that doesn't mean that he wasn't persecuted, and we're going to look at that in weeks to come. That Paul was specifically persecuted because of Gentile inclusion, but Paul never considered himself to have abandoned. Uh, that uh, that religion, if we want to call it that, that, that faith practice of, the, of those same people. Uh, Paul never has considers himself. Uh, also, if you will consider that and reading the book of Acts, you will soon discover uh, and it will become obvious that Paul is always consistently uh, coming down on the, on, on the side of the Jews. Uh, those to whom uh, so many people think that Paul has turned against. Add to that, um, add to that uh, Peter's words now in, in Peter Second uh, Peter chapter three verses fourteen through sixteen. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found in him in peace, without spot and blameless. Consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of scriptures. We would be careful when we read Paul's words to remember Peter's admonition here. Be careful. Paul is, first of all, he, he endorses Paul, uh, having been given the, a, a measure of wisdom. But then he also says that people need to be careful because many people misinterpret him, twist to their own destruction as they do the rest of scriptures. If I were to say anything to those who, people who would somehow claim that Paul, uh, uh, although Jesus began a new religion, Paul is who established it, I would be careful to, uh, um, to, to tell them that Paul is absolutely consistent with the Torah. That his teachings are absolutely consistent with the Torah. That Paul teaches nothing new ever. And if you believe that Paul teaches something new or a new way, the Deuteronomy 13 uh, verses 1 through 5, as we'll see, uh, in fact, are a, uh, a decree against him. Be very careful not to divide your scriptures between old and new between Paul and Jesus, between Moses and Paul. 
Be very careful to understand that the scriptures speak as a unity, and if you cannot hold that the scriptures speak as a unity, then your faith rests on nothing. Peter warns us to be careful that Paul's teachings are difficult. Now, I would simply offer to most people who would be critical of what I just said, why is it that you understand Paul so well? Why is it that Paul seems to say things so clearly to you? And, and I would offer that if anybody has a clear understanding of Paul, then they haven't really studied Paul and his writings. We need to be careful in how we handle what Paul says. Uh, Paul, the scriptures given to us are written in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, superintended by him through the ages. We can rest assured that they are valid and good and that they contain within them life and all instruction in righteousness and godliness, Paul's words included. What we need to be careful is that we find the way to discover what Paul said in light of of what the Torah teaches. Let's go to the uh, this word law. Namas, that is, is uh, used in the Greek. In the Septuagint, uh, the Greek uh, translation of the uh, Hebrew scriptures from the 3rd century uh, before the Common Era, the Greek scriptures, the Septuagint, would have been the, uh, the uh, Bible that Paul and uh, others of the apostles used it's especially in their relating to uh, those Greek speakers. Paul, of course, would have uh, also uh, had access to and uh, used the Hebrew scriptures primarily in Hebrew. Uh, we know that from his instructions to Timothy and Second Timothy. Uh, but Paul also would have used the Septuagint. It's, and the Septuagint uses, translates the word Torah into the word namas. Uh, and that is the same, the Greek word namas, and that's the same word that's used in Galatians uh, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 21, in referring to the law. And listen to what it says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 21. For if righteousness, this is Paul speaking, for if righteousness is through the law, then Messiah died for nothing. Namas, that's the word, the law. If righteousness is through the law, then Messiah died for nothing. You know, but uh, there's a contradiction, it seems, here. If you, uh, if you will go to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse, verse, uh, verse 24 through 25, it says, And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. Then it will be righteousness for us, if we are careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us, Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 21, For if righteousness is through the law, then Messiah died for nothing. Deuteronomy 6, 25 says, Then it will be righteousness for us. And he's talking about obedience to the statutes. Then it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God is. He has commanded us. Which is it? Is Paul contradicting Deuteronomy 6, 24? If he is, then he is to be regarded as a false prophet. Listen to what he says in Romans chapter 7, verse 21 through and 23. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who, who wills to do good. But I see another law in my members, waging war against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is my, in my members. Wait a minute. Paul is not using the word law here, which is the word namas, for... Uh, 
for the word, uh, exchanging it for the word Torah. He's not saying the Torah. Otherwise, it makes no sense. Uh, it's actually two laws. Listen what he says. If I use the word Torah, if I substitute, listen how silly it sounds. I find then a Torah, that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. But I see another Torah in my members, waging war against the Torah of my mind, bringing me into captivity to the Torah of sin, which is in my members. Of course, some, version of some people in classical Christian theology would uh, have no problem reading it that way at all. But you can see how silly that is. Now, here we see that Paul is using this, this, uh, this word uh, namas in another way. He's not using it in the, in, the, in, the, in the context of Torah, that it's speaking of the Torah. He sometimes uses, and this is one of the uses, which is Romans 7.21, he's using it sometimes to refer to man-made rules. Or sometimes, specifically in Romans chapter uh, uh, 7, verse 21, he's talking about it being, it, it, about it being a, a, a principle, a consequential principle. For instance, he says, I find that in a law that evil is present in the one who does the good, wills to do good. In other words, I find in me this principle. This is something that I find to be true, is what he's saying. That evil is present within me, the one who wills to do good. But I see in me another principle. He uses the word namas there in my members, waging against the principle of my mind, the things that I want, that I truly want to do, and bringing me into captivity the principle or the the uh, the consequence of sin, which is in my members. So you can see he's using the word namas here, and not in a clearly definitive way where we can always say namas, or as it's translated into English, the word law. We can say, based on Paul's usage, we can say that Paul does not always refer to it as Torah, which is a very important point and a very important uh, recognition in our in our in our study in the book of Galatians. Because remember what we've been learning so far in our background. There's a whole lot of oral Torah. Not and I'm, don't misunderstand. I'm not speaking against oral Torah in in and of itself. But there's a whole lot of oral Torah and written Torah mixed together. And in the days of Paul, this was absolutely required for someone who was coming into ritual conversion that they accept both the written and the oral Torah. And there's a whole lot of man-made rules that are applied, that are uh, mixed in with all of that. And what we need to be able to ferret out is, what's Paul talking about? Is he talking about the Torah of God spoken by God through his prophet uh, our teacher Moses and written down for us the eternal law of God and in some cases we know that he is not speaking at all about that uh, but Paul himself uses the Torah in very positive ways as well look at Romans chapter 2 verse 12 through 15 Romans chapter 2 verse 12 for as many have, has, as have sinned without law will also perish without, perish without law and as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. Listen to what he says. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. 
Verse 14, For when Gentiles who did not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves. Verse 15, Who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts, accusing or else excusing them. Do you see Paul speaking, actually, I know that a lot of people take these verses and turn them into a negative, but Paul speaking in a very positive way. The Torah, in fact, he says here, doers of the law will be justified. Now, is that what he says in Galatians chapter 3? What did he say? For the righteous if righteousness is through the law then Messiah died for nothing here he says the doers of the law will be justified Gentiles themselves who don't even have the law the Torah by nature do the things in the law the Torah these also although not having the Torah are a, are a law to themselves for who show the work of the law written in their hearts how's that work? clearly we have Paul using the word law in ways that are confusing and we, this is another reason we need to be very careful how we handle what he says. If we, don't, if we aren't careful, we are annulling the very scriptures themselves. And to that, we should be very, very fearful. Romans chapter 2. Uh, um, by the way, he does say in Romans, uh, Romans 2.12 uh, that the law is written on our hearts. Romans chapter 2, verse 25 through 27. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically circumcised, and, and will not the physically circumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge, ev- you, judge you who, even with your written code and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law? What's he saying here? Boy, he's going back and forth. And again, Paul's words can be confusing. What he says here is that if a Gentile keeps the law... He's counted as if he was a covenant member. That's what he's talking about, the circumcision, uncircumcision. If a, in other words, if a Gentile keeps the law, he is counted as a covenant member. Go to Romans chapter 3, verse 31. Keep in mind what he said in Galatians chapter 2 with regard to the law. And the key verse of Galatians chapter uh, of Galatians uh, chapter two verse sixteen says that if we are justified by faith in the sign, not we are justified by faith in the sign, not by the works of the law, because no flesh will be justified by the works of the law. Listen to what he says in Romans chapter three verse thirty one. Do we make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. Paul's using a phrase there, establish the law, which finds itself. Uh, which finds itself in, 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 he, in a Hebrew uh, phrase, in a Hebrew way of thinking, establish the law. This is, a common, uh, this is a common way of referring to making the law stand up, making the law have uh, see, see the law for what it truly is and its benefits of life that it brings to us. Uh, and here's what he's saying. He said, do we void the law through faith? I'm, I'm, I'm amazed sometimes that people who take Galatians and read it, uh, read it as it has been read uh, uh, since the early days uh, of the second century negatively towards the Torah. I'm amazed that they cannot deal with Romans chapter 3, verse 31. They can't deal with it honestly. What does it say? Do we make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. Now, to be fair, many who are in that camp have, done, have, have answered this question, have answered this verse by simply saying, well, parts of the law. Parts of the law. Now, the moral part of the law. Not recognizing the fact that the, that the Torah is singular. 
it is the commandment. It is not. It is not divisible. It is singular. And Paul himself says it here. And James himself says it here. The singularity of the Torah is, uh, is well established by Scripture. We don't get to pick and choose what is or is not God's Word. It's all God's Word. And if it's not, why do you bother keeping any of it? Why not go ahead and lie or steal? We say that those are moral, that they're, that they're on our hearts. If we would be, if we would be sensitive to the Spirit and how God leads us in recognizing His Word, His Holy Word, we will see that all of it is precious to us and should be precious to us. Romans chapter 7, verse 7. And I'll read through verse 13. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Let me pause for a moment here. What, what is it that many people are telling uh, people who are, who are uh, messianic, may have come from a Christian background, or maybe not, but maybe have come from a Christian background and, and are, 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 being, are being led towards a, a submissiveness to the Torah of God? Uh, what are they being told? They're being told that if you, the book of Galatians teaches if you go back under the law, that you'll be condemned. That you'll be under the law. That the law will condemn you. And that there's no salvation for those who are under the law. What does Paul say here? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would have not known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. Here's the blame. Verse, pausing here for a moment. I'm going to continue in verse 8. Here's the blame that we need to place. Upon, upon this problem. The blame is not with the commandment. The blame is not with the Torah of God. The blame is with us. Verse 8. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law. But when the law commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment, which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me. And by it killed me. Therefore the law is holy. And the commandment is holy and just and good. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. It is not the Torah, beloved, that is leading us away from God and a life of faith. May it never be. How can people think such thoughts? No. What is leading us away from a life of faith in the Almighty God and His precious Messiah that He's given, given, given us is our own sin. And we know the commandment. And the commandment's been given to us. It was given to us to bring life and instead, because of our own sin, we find death. Has it become death to us? Certainly not. 
May it never be. Can you hear this righteous, this righteous sage Paul speaking here? Then what has become, has it become death to me? Certainly not. May it never be considered. We thank, we thank the Lord so much for his servant Paul. He's been giving us these, these words that so many ignore to their own, to their own, uh, Detriment. They ignore his very words that confirm that the Torah is given for life. Uh, Romans chapter 7, verse 25. Go down there with me. Romans chapter 7, verse 25. I thank God through Messiah Yeshua our Lord. This is at the end of chapter 7 and he's, he's going back and forth. Uh, so many people have difficulty with chapter 7 of Romans. Uh, part of the reason they have difficulty is because they've divided the law into, 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 into parts. Uh, they, have, uh, they have negated the commandments of God given through his servant Moses, our teacher. And in fact, they have uh, taken, uh, taken it and, and having uh, stripped the gospel message of its righteousness, then they had their 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 dealing with Romans chapter seven uh, ends up being a, a discussion of whether it's the flesh or the sinful nature or whatever else, uh, and and in that they they of course miss the very points that Paul's trying to make. And in verse twenty five he sums it up and he gives us this hope. I thank God through Messiah Yeshua our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, the Torah of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. What is the law of sin? It's my own predisposition to sin. It's my fault. No one else's. Romans 7, verse 25. Um, go to 1 Timothy. Uh, here's what Paul says in 1 Timothy. Uh, Verse eight, and and actually, this is a, this is an ex, this this First Timothy eight uh, is is worthy of a of a of a long teaching in and of itself. It's used by people in negative ways, but let me just use part of it here because I want I want to focus on what he says. We know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, and then he goes on to describe it. The law is good, by the way. Using it to justify a lawbreaker is absurd, and that's what he says. It's a summation of what he's saying. It condemns lawbreakers. Uh, it's not given for sinners. Uh, let me give you an example. Um, if, if, if I see a speed limit uh, on the side of the road or a stop sign, and I, and I pull up to the stop sign and it don't come to a stop, is the law written for me? Yes, because it's going to be used against me. It's because I needed it and I ignored it and, and the policeman pulls me over and, and, and to preserve the safety of other drivers on the road, he's going to issue me a ticket. He's going to, he's going to, he's going to give me proof that I'm a lawbreaker, that I broke the law of the stop sign or the speeding sign or whatever. Uh, on the other hand, if I come to a complete stop at a stop sign, was the law a benefit to me? Absolutely, it kept me alive. You know, it may have kept me from being hit by somebody moving, uh, moving from another direction. But is is uh, is the law going to be used against me? No. And so the law was not made for me there. Uh, by the way, if I had the law in my heart, uh, if 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 I just simply knew which intersections there were stop signs on, if I just instinctively knew and I'll use the word instinctively, instinctively simply because it works with this context, to come to a stop when I came to certain intersections, would I need to have a stop sign? 
Well, if I was faithful to that instinct, no, I wouldn't. But the fact is that just because I don't have a stop sign doesn't mean there's not a law. Instead, now the law is written on my heart. So if I see a stop sign, then I would still stop. But it would be because the law was on my heart. Recognizing the stop sign would simply give me an opportunity to point that out to others as well. There was a stop sign there. It was written on my heart, but there's also a stop sign there. And the stop sign was evidence of the law that's been written on my heart. Uh, uh, the analogy obviously is imperfect, but there's a very similar analogy. And we see in, in, in Jeremiah chapter 31 specifically how God has given us his law and this new covenant that he would, and continuing in, in, in Ezekiel chapter 36 and chapter 37, he has given us a new heart and he will. He has placed his law on our heart and now in, verse thir- in chapter 36 of, e- of Ezekiel, he will cause us to walk in his statutes. Now he's enabled us. He hasn't just said it. And it's not just used as a condemnation for us. If we break it, now he's said it. It's true. It's righteous. This is what righteousness looks like, is what it is. This is how righteousness looks. But now he's given us the power of the Holy Spirit to obey him, to be faithful to him, to be faithful to his words and to treat them as good and as right and as, as life-giving. This is what Paul's speaking of. What about righteousness? As Paul talks about in Galatians uh, chapter, chapter 2, uh, he talks about righteousness and that righteousness in, 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 in Galatians chapter uh, um, uh, 2 verse, uh, verse 21 where he says uh, that, uh, that righteousness does not come through the law. And if righteousness came through the law, then Messiah died for nothing. Uh, what about righteousness? Uh, what, is, what is this word righteousness? In Greek it is dikaiu. Uh, Nay, it is, uh, it is a uh, word that is uh, um, uh, also used in the uh, Hebrew scriptures that they translated into Greek in the Septuagint. It's that same word used uh, in, the, in the Hebrew. It's tzedakah. Uh, uh, um, it's the equivalent for righteousness. Um, look at, look at uh, Matthew. Go, to, go with me to Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. This word is used here. Matthew 5, verse 6, where Yeshua himself, on what people call the Sermon on the Mount, says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Well, what kind of righteousness is that? As we discuss in the workbook, there's, the, the Scripture speaks in abstract terms, and con- conceptual terms, but sk- Scripture seems to speak conceptually of two kinds of righteousness. A righteousness that is, uh, that is God's righteousness, that is Messiah's righteousness, that is imputed to us. This is a forensic righteousness. In other words, when we're being examined before a court of law, we're seen as righteous, even though we know that we've had sin in our lives. Uh, this is the court of God. Um, that we that we have this forensic righteousness, this imputed righteousness, but is there's another kind of righteousness that is that is often used in Scripture, and we look through our references. This this demonstrable righteousness, this evidential evidentiary righteousness, is actually used a lot in in, in Scripture, and in in addition to that, in Paul's writings himself, and uh, that's what we always need to ask the question when we're reading about righteousness. Is it talking about those who work righteousness? Look in Acts chapter ten, verse thirty four. Acts 10, verse 34, where he says, and this is Peter, and Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. 
Well, does that square with what Paul said in, in Galatians chapter 2, uh, verse 21, where he says, uh, where he says that no one is justified, no one is just, for if his righteousness is through the law, then Messiah died for nothing? Well, sounds like Peter's contradicting him here, doesn't it? Do you, do you understand that the contradictions, the apparent contradictions between Paul and the Torah of God, given through his servant Moses, those apparent contradictions are not just found there. Those apparent contradictions are found in the very words of Paul himself, where he speaks two different things, it appears to be. And look at here, Peter, as well. Here he says, in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Works righteousness. I'm sorry, there's no way of getting around it. That's exactly what it says. It, 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 uses, it uses a word that we get the same word energy from in English. Works righteousness. In other words, does it. Someone who does righteousness. That's, that's in Acts chapter 10, verse 34 through 35. How can we get around those verses? Uh, first of all, I would suggest that we never try and get around any verses. We certainly need to understand what Paul and Peter are speaking of, that we, that we do not misunderstand what, they say, what they're speaking of. Otherwise, we run the risk of, of, being, uh, of missing the mark. Missing the mark. What, what a fearful thing it is to handle the Word of God inconsistently and without faith. So it's important that we understand and discover what it is, in fact, that God is saying. Uh, worketh righteousness. It is the working of righteousness that uh, and those who fear Him that are accepted by Him. Go to Romans chapter 1, verse 16 through 18. This is Paul speaking. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Messiah, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and, to, and also for the Greek. For in it, speaking of what, what is it, it is the gospel of Messiah, the good news of Messiah. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And we know that that's a quote from Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. And we know in the Hebrew what it says is, the just shall live by their faith. There's no escaping that in the Hebrew. That's what it says. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. What's the contrast here? Righteousness versus unrighteousness. Uh, who's righteous? Who's unrighteous here? What's, how is that contrast being, being shown to us? The good news reveals the righteousness of God. And there are those who are righteous and those who are unrighteous. The ungodly are unrighteous. Go to Romans chapter 6, verse 16 through 18. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves to whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God, be thanked that though you were slaves to sin, Yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which, we, which you were delivered, to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Yeah, this is why James, in, 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 in his epistle, talks about the Torah as the Torah of liberty. Uh, we are slaves to something. We're slaves to someone. The question is who? Are we slaves to God? Are we slaves to His to His Righteousness? Are we slaves to his uh, his instructions? Look what he says leads to leads to obedience. In Romans chapter six verse sixteen, he says, "But of obedience leading to righteousness. Obedience in what? 
Obedience to what? If you're a slave to sin, you obey sin. If you're a slave to God, you obey God. Obedience to God leads to righteousness. It leads to righteousness. And we're going to see obedience is righteousness. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 10. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. This can't be talking about imputed righteousness, that righteousness that we are given on the basis of Messiah's perfect life through faith in him. This is not talking about that. This is talking about increasing the fruits of your righteousness. What are the fruits of righteousness? It's been sowed. He gives us this picture of, of, a, of a sower and the bread being made from it and the multiplying of seed that, that the sower sows. In this case, these sowers have sowed something. What have they sown? The fruits of your righteousness. They've sown righteousness. What are they, what are they going to get back? Well, when you sow a seed, what do you get back? Do you not get something that comes from the seed? Do you not get something that is shown to be from the seed? And even more seed? And that's what we see with righteousness. Righteousness are righteous deeds. Obedience to God. And what do we get back? Multiplied. Multiplied righteousness. Multiplied. More to do. More to give Him of our time. Our hands. Our mouths. Our eyes. Our feet. The doing of His commandments. The doing of His mitzvot. He gives us more. More opportunities to exercise righteousness in the world. To reveal His holiness to a world that is dark and decaying. To a world that is going away. To a world that is diminishing and decaying and rotting. He's given us, he's given us light. A way to reveal Himself. His holiness. His righteousness. By the very deeds that we do. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Flee sin. Pursue righteousness. That's what he's saying. First John chapter 2, verse 29. If you know that He is righteous, speaking of God, speaking of Messiah, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of Him. By the way, the book of 1 John is very clear in this regard. Uh, you've got to be very careful when you start talking about, well, you know, I, I used to be a sinner, but I'm not a sinner anymore, and now, uh, even though I continue to do whatever I want to do, I, I confess it, and He's faithful and just to forgive it, and now I'm, I'm sinless, because I wear His sinlessness. Uh, and, and by the way, parts of that are true. We are we are righteous because he is righteous. But here, he, uh, uh, the beloved uh, disciple John says clearly, because you know that he's righteous, and you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. This is not imputed righteousness. This is not the putting on of Yeshua's righteousness. Although that is true, and that was uh, that's where we ultimately stand. He's talking about doing good deeds, doing. The works 
that God has commanded us to do, the obedience to His Torah. 1 John uh, 3.7 Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. Wow. You know, that, that, you know it, this is not just putting on something. This is doing something. You must practice righteousness. Everyone who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. You know, this does not negate, negate Paul's words or Isaiah's words. Uh, speaking of all we, have, all we like sheep have, have gone astray and each of us has sinned in his own way. This is not negating that. What this is saying is that measure for measure, as we walk faithfully and obediently in the path that God has given us to walk, God returns righteousness to us. We are imputed with His righteousness on the basis of faith. And it is by faith we walk faithfully after our Messiah, our Teacher, our Leader, our righteous Rebbe. We walk after Him. And as we walk after Him, mimicking Him, uh, acting like Him in what we say and what we do, walking obediently to the commandments of God, uh, we are going to be seen as righteous. Not just to Him, uh, the judge of all earth, who sees us as righteous because we walk in faith, but he's gonna, we're going to be seen as righteous to those around us as well. First John chapter 3, verse 10. In this the children of the God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. Those are strong words. Is it possible, remember our question at the beginning, is it possible to be righteous and still refuse to obey the commandments of God? What does John say? What does the Holy Spirit say in John 3.10? First John 3.10 Whoever does not practice, and by the way, that's the present tense, keep on. Whoever does not keep on doing righteousness is not of God nor is he who does not love his brother. Go to 1 Kings 8, 22. It's a very interesting uh, passage about Solomon uh, dedicating the first temple. And found within this passage, verses, uh, I had you look up the whole passage, verse 22 through 54 uh, of 1 Kings 8. Uh, but found within this passage, as, as, as Solomon is praying that God will, in fact, take up residence, as he had promised to in the tabernacle, take up residence in, residence in this temple that Solomon has built with human, uh, human hands, uh, he, as he's asking, as he's, as he's uh, petitioning God to take up residence there, um, he, he makes some very remarkable statements. Uh, that are not borne out in the later decrees, such as the 18 measures or the, or the rubrics or the, or the rules surrounding uh, 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 ritual conversion or circumcision. Uh, in chapter 8, verse 27, let, us, let me start in verse 27. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? This is Solomon speaking. Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple which I have built? Yet regard the prayer of your servant in his supplication. O Lord my God, and listen to the cry and the prayer which your servant is praying before you today, that your eyes may be open toward this temple day and night to the place of which you have said, My name shall be there, 
that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which your servant makes towards this place, and may hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray towards this place. Here in heaven, your dwelling place, when you hear, forgive. When anyone sins against this neighbor and is forced to take an oath and comes and takes an oath before you, before your altar in this temple, then hear in heaven and act and judge your servants, condemning the wicked, bringing his way on his head and justifying the righteous by giving him according to his righteousness. When your people Israel are defeated before an enemy because they have sinned against you, and when they turn their back to you and confess your name and pray and make supplication to you in this temple, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them back to the land which, your fathers, which you gave to their fathers. When the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, when they pray towards this place and confess your name and turn from their sin because you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your, pe- your servant, your people Israel, that you may teach them the good way in which they should walk and send rain on your land which you have given to your people as an inheritance. When there is famine in the land, pestilence or blight or mildew, locusts or grasshoppers, when the enemy besieges them in the land of their cities, whatever plague or whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer, whatever supplication is made by anyone or by all your people Israel, when each one knows the plague of his own heart and spreads out his hands towards his temple, then here in heaven your dwelling place and forgive and act and give to everyone according to all his ways whose heart you know For you alone know the hearts of all the sons of men, that they may fear you all the days that they live in the land which you gave to our fathers. Moreover, concerning a foreigner, a Gentile, who is not of your people Israel, but has come from a far country for your name's sake. For they will hear of your great name and your strong hand and your outstretched arms when he comes and prays towards this temple. Hear in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all which the foreigner calls to you, that all peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this temple which I have built is called by your name. Here we see in this passage uh, where Solomon recognizes that God's going to call Gentiles to this very place. Just as we saw that God had given Israel as a light to the nations. And in Deuteronomy chapter 4 he says, When the people around you see and observe, they'll say, What great, what great, laws and commandments you've been given. Who is this God that you worship? Solomon prophetically sees that the Gentiles are going to be drawn to this place, to this temple. Did he foresee a sorg? A wall dividing? Keeping them out? Certainly not. Did he see the threat of death? For those who would approach the temple of God who had not gone through ritual conversion? Certainly not. Let's move on to this word justify. 
Paul uses the word in Galatians to make his main point. We saw it in verse 26. That Gentiles, and this is his main point, Gentiles cannot gain covenant status by becoming Jews through ritual conversion. Gentiles cannot gain covenant status by simply going through the man-made rules of ritual conversion. And I've given you a quote here of, of, of Dr. Uh, um, James Dunn with regard to uh, this, this, uh, this passage, uh, specifically in, in chapter 2. Um, Dr. Dunn, in, in, in his book, The Epistle to the Galatians, um, makes this point on page 135. And to be, to be clear, uh, James Dunn is a classical Christian commentator. He's not, he's not a messianic or, or, or anything along those, those lines. But one thing that he has done, uh, Dr. Dunn, along with many others uh, uh, of, in, the, in the scholarly field, have, begin, have begun and have, have come to the conclusion, begun to conclude that Paul could not possibly be contradicting the Torah of Moses. And that Paul was faithful to Judaism throughout his life. Now, where did they come to that conclusion? By reading Paul's own words, obviously. But certainly, a lot of the a lot of the uh, uh, thought in, in these in these men's minds uh, is is coming by revelation of the Holy Spirit, and and revealing to them uh, in these last days the truth that God's word is eternal and abiding forever. Dr. Dunn, on page 134 of his book, says, It, in speaking of the word justify, is a metaphor drawn from the law court to describe the judge's responsibility to give a fair verdict and to justify, that is, to acquit the innocent. As in a typical Jewish usage, and he, and he gives us a couple passages, Exodus 23, 7, Deuteronomy 25, verses 1 through 2, 2 Samuel 15, 4, Micah 6, 11. As used here, therefore, it reflects the axiomatic assumption among Jews that God exercised and would exercise the role of end-time judge in relation to the world, both Jew and Gentile. Now, this is a very important point. Uh, what he's saying here is that it's not just about uh, those who are... Uh, um, not just standing before, uh, as some people call it, the the, the uh, judgment seat of Messiah or the white uh, white uh, throne judgment as seen in in, uh, in Revelation, but there's something else at work here. Uh, the end of end time judge in relation to the world, both Jew and Gentile, both Jew and Gentile. He means to use those those words this way because that's the way Paul's going to use it, and I'll continue quoting that. Uh, the one thus justified or acquitted was found to be quote righteous. The ground of a favorable judgment was the, quote, righteousness of the one judged. In other words, the righteousness of God in this case. And continuing with the quote. All three words come from the same root in both Hebrew and Greek. To be justified was to be formally recognized as righteous. At this point, however, Hebrew and Greek concepts diverge. For whereas in Greek thought, righteousness or justice was an ideal norm by which a particular claim or duties could be measured, in Hebrew thought, righteousness was more a concept of relation. People were righteous when they met the claims which others had on them by virtue of their relationship. For Israel, that meant preeminently the relationship with Hashem. That is, the covenant that he made with Israel when he chose, chose Israel to be his people. To be righteous was to live within the covenant and within the terms it laid down, i.e. the law, to be acquitted, 
recognized as righteous, was to be counted as one of God's own people who had proved faithful to the covenant. And continuing on verse 30, uh, page 135, he, quoting, The typical a traditional Jewish view of the time was not that anyone could earn God's favor. On the contrary, the whole of Israel's religion was founded on the axiom that God had chosen Israel as an act wholly undeserved. Membership in the covenant people already presupposed God's gracious election and sustaining favor. It had not been earned. What we get from what Dr. Dunn says here is that the righteousness being being given to us here is uh, righteousness was counted as being one of God's own people. To be justified was to be counted as one of God's own people. Uh, it's not an earned status, as he said. It's something that was uh, graciously given. So what's he saying here? What's he saying here is that, that this phrase that Paul is using in Galatians chapter 2, uh, uh, verse, verse, uh, Galatians chapter 2, verse 15 and 16, or verse 16 specifically, where he says, We, being Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Yeshua, the Messiah, even we believe in Messiah Yeshua, that we might be justified by faith in Messiah, and not by the works of the law, because no flesh will be justified by the works of the law. The word justified, he's, he's saying here, relates to this idea of righteousness, as he gives us in chapter 2, verse 21, where he says that for the righteousness is through the law, the Messiah died for nothing. What's he speaking of? He's not saying that righteous, living obediently to the law in obedience to the commandments of God is not righteousness. He's not saying that. What he's saying is, if the righteousness or to be counted as a part of the covenant people of God, if it comes through the law, specifically through the, through the, uh, through the uh, uh, in context we see that this is talking about the the instructions of men with regard to ritual conversion, because that's remember that's the focus of his of his book here. For if the righteousness comes through the law, then Messiah died for nothing. In other words, if you could be a part of the covenant people simply by going through ritual conversion, then what do you need Messiah for? Because, as Isaiah tells us, and as as um, it is paraphrased in the Mishnah, all Israel has a part in the world to come. And as Paul tells us in Romans chapter 11, all Israel will be saved. If you can be part of Israel, if you can be a member of the covenant people without Messiah, then what do you need Messiah for? And what he's saying, what Paul's saying is, it's impossible. You cannot be, you cannot join the covenant people. You cannot be among the people of God simply because you go through man-made ritual conversion. That won't do it. That can't do it. Let's go back to chapter 2 at the beginning and let's just go through some of these uh, verses. We'll read through them and I'll make a few comments about it here and there. Galatians chapter 2 and uh, we'll start with verse, uh, verse 1. Galatians 2 verse 1. 
Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them that gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to those who are of reputation, lest by any means I might run or have or had run in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in, who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Messiah Yeshua, that they might bring us into bondage. To whom we did not yield submission even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something added nothing to me. From this we see that Paul, these first six verses, Paul's opposing this faction that held, still held to the 18 measures. He's opposing the faction who thought the Gentiles needed to go through ritual conversion, as you saw in Acts chapter 1, verse 1. Acts chapter 15, verse 1. In order to be, uh, he, he's opposing this group that say the only hope for Gentiles is if they become Jews. And this is what he's saying here in his first six verses. Starting in verse 7 now. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, as the gospel for the circumcised was committed to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me towards the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go to the Gentiles, and they to the circumcised. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I was eager to do. Notice here, he's using the word, uh, the, word the, the phrase circumcised, the word circumcised and circumcised, to refer to Jews and Gentiles. Jews and Gentiles. And it was decided, Paul was going to go to the Gentiles with the good news, Peter was going to go to the Jews. I would say that, first of all, is that the instruction that was given in Matthew chapter 24? Uh, Yeshua said, uh, go ye into all the world, preach the gospel. And, and we, we see in, 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 uh, at the end of Luke and at, in the beginning of Acts that he was commanded them to begin with Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the other most parts of the world. I mean, were they, were, 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 was Peter and the rest of them free to just, hey, we'll just stick with the Jews. Paul, you've been given the special mission. You go to the Gentiles. I, I, would, I, I hold that they were not. They were not free to do that. I, would, I, would, I think that this is an error. That they were in error to divide the ministry in this way. Of course, Paul, his calling. Uh, Yeshua gave him this calling in, in, in Acts, and uh, he is absolutely faithful to it. We should, we should have high regard for Paul, this righteous sage, for the faithfulness that he had demonstrated throughout his life. The faithfulness towards Messiah as, as his master, as a true disciple. He followed him faithfully in everything. It's not to say that Peter and the others were not faithful disciples, but I think in that they erred, that they were content simply to go to Jews uh, and, and not recognizing that they were called to go to all Jew and Gentile. The Jew first, certainly, but also the Greek. Uh, beginning again, or continuing verse 11. Now when Peter 
Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face, because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? Notice here what uh, this, this is the 18 measures in direct, in, in direct, uh, uh, very directly and very obviously, is it not? He's talking directly about the 18 measures. Peter withdraws when the others are around. Obviously, he's being a hypocrite because he doesn't do it when they're not around. Uh, who are they? Uh, they're those that came from Jerusalem, those who came from Judea. Believers. Uh, and even Barnabas was carried away by this hypocrisy. And, and what was it that and what was it that Peter uh, what was it that Paul was taking to Peter to task over his hypocrisy is yeah, Peter's the one who received the vision to repeal the eighteen measures in Acts chapter ten. He he confirms it in Acts chapter eleven and chapter fifteen. He tells the other apostles that it, that what this vision meant that Gentiles that you could go into a Gentile home that you could have fellowship eat with Gentiles eating with Gentiles is a very important part of this the 18 measures as you remember speak specifically about this issue Avodah Zerah uh, the tractate in the Talmud actually deals with this issue as well going into the home as we saw in the Mishnah uh, uh, previously going into a Gentile's home uh, was an uncleanness you could, you, you could encounter ritual uncleanness and, and thereby uh, pollute other things including the temple itself this uh, contagious uh, this contagious uncleanness is something that the 18 measures uh, is, brings into, and, and the Talmud continues, after the 18 measures are repealed, still continues to hold to this idea of a, of a, of a contamination uh, of, ritual, uh, of ritual impurity. But here, Peter, and Paul takes him to task, here uh, it, it appears that people are still slipping into this, this need uh, 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 for the 18 measures. Now, I believe this is also, this account occurs before Acts chapter 15. So there is no definitive ruling from the Jerusalem Council, but there was a definitive ruling from heaven, a repealing, a, 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 a repealing of the decree, the 18 measures, uh, there to Peter. And Peter gave evidence of that, spoke of that. The Holy Spirit gave evidence in this home of Cornelius that God had saved the Gentiles in the very manner that he had saved them. Go to uh, verse 15 now. We'll read through, verse, through the end of the chapter. Who are Jews by nature, not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, by faith in Messiah Yeshua, even if we, even, even we have believed in Messiah Yeshua, that we might be justified by faith in Messiah, not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. You can't be a part. You cannot be a part of the covenant of, of, of uh, covenant people, the covenant community, simply by going through ritual conversion. But verse 17, but if, while we seek to be justified by Messiah, we ourselves are also found to be sinners, is Messiah therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, died that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Messiah. It is no longer I who live. Messiah lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes to the law, the Messiah died in vain. Is Paul teaching something new here? No, he's not. What he is doing 
is he is opposing those and that teaching which says that the only hope for a Gentile is to become a Jew. And the only hope for a, Jew, for a Gentile who becomes a Jew is because only Israel, only Jews, have a part in the world to come. And that there is no hope apart from that for Gentiles. We've seen that reading Galatians out of context from the rest of Scripture can lead us to think and to use words that are theological uh, in ways they were not meant to be used. Paul uses these words, justify, righteousness, as technical terms, true, but uh, in ways obviously that are different than classical Christian theology teaches us. Paul is continuing to press his case. Gentiles are a, necess a necessary part of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom message, the good news, is offered to Gentiles as well as Jews. All Israel does have a part in the world to come. Let's close from the Mincha afternoon prayers for Shabbat. Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness and your Torah is truth. And your righteousness, O God, is unto the high heavens. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains. Your judgment is like the vast deep waters. Man and beast you save, Lord. Amen.